Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here. Welcome back to the Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know, the show where I invite people virtually into the Blog Cabin to chat about life. And today we're going to do another segment of our Sunday Inspirational Series. And I have the author, Darlene West here. Darlene wrote Awakened by Grace. And it's an amazing book. Guys, the first chapter packs a punch. Right, Darlene? It's like packs a big punch. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So welcome to the show and tell us a little about yourself before we get into chatting about the book. First, I'd like to thank you for having me. You're welcome. And a little bit about myself. I've been writing, telling stories first when I was real little and I've been writing stories since I was in sixth grade. I love to write and I believe it's a gift from God, of course. And, um, you know, we all have our own gifts and I also got a gift for cooking I've been cooking since I was five. I always was in the kitchen with my mom, as far as I can remember. And she gave me the dirty work, of course, like mixing meatballs and stuff like that. And so, but um, I'm Greek heritage. My parents were first generation Greeks to be born in the States and I'm second generation. And um, I love the ocean. The sea is my favorite place on earth, though I live inland now. I live in Idaho, and Idaho is a beautiful place. I live actually in the Rockies now, Okay. in the Rocky Mountains, so I could say it's really beautiful here. (laughs) (laughs) I do like farmland, and I'm a country girl, though I grew up in inner cities, actually, sometimes. Um, Like, we lived in San Francisco when I was in second grade. Wow. Yeah downtown San Francisco. So um, it was quite a different life growing up because I was either suburban or in the cities. And uh, my father loved the cities because he never drove. (laughs) So I always end up in the cities, but writing, I went to school to be a botanist and I did really bad in math and really good in my backcourt classes, which were English classes, writing classes. And my writing teachers and my English teachers recommended that I change my major. And I did. And um, from there on, that was the beginning of me writing this novel because I had this novel in my heart I had the name Franklin Franklin in my heart, but I wasn't sure what God wanted me to do with it yet. But then I pulled back. I used to be a street evangelist. I believe I'm evangelizing now through my novel. Mm-hmm. And I was one-on-one as a street evangelist. And now I can reach out thousands of people through my novel. And um, I also went to mental and hospitals. And I found a lot of people were they had a lot of guilt or self-condemnation or they were suffering from chronic grief. And that's what poured into my heart with Franklin Franklin. 
Yeah. So you just talked about you love to cook. You get the gift of cooking. You combine that in your book as well with Franklin Franklin, correct? <laughs> yes. Yes. I grew up in the restaurant business. I had to put it in there. I love the restaurant business. I My dream is to own a concession trailer and call it the chili wagon. <laughs> I love that. And um, also give out, you know, sell my cookies in the chili wagon. And because uh, every Christmas I go to the fairgrounds and I sell my fudge and cookies. And this little boy, he was 12 years old last year. And he came with his mother and his mother said he was so worried that you wouldn't be here. He talked about your fudge all year. And I'm known as the fudge lady around town, but not the author yet. <laughs> I want to be known as the fudge, uh, the author. I am known as the fudge lady. Well, I will say that you're going to be known as the author because this book is an amazing book. It, it deals with, like you said, grief how condemnation i mean that first chapter was like wow i could not even imagine going any further but to see how he your character franklin franklin changes from just the struggle that he had with what caused his wife's death into where he is at the end of the novel you've such development of the character i can tell you thank you i appreciate it that's all god <laughs> i give the credit to the glory to the lord which which Brings me to a point where the little girl, where did you get the idea of the little girl, his granddaughter, having as much faith as she did? Because normally in kids, you don't see a lot of that. You see, oh, I believe, or I believe, but she, she was like the mega Christian, I want, I want to say, because she like, God's going to provide, God's going to provide, God's going to provide. Yeah, there was a little boy I saw online once, he was six years old. And not only was he, um, he was preaching at six years old. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was praying for people and he was on fire for the Lord. And I know that he has special calling in his life. That's where I got the idea. And I also wanted to make her more mature than her age. Mm -hmm. So people will see childlike faith. Well, I will say that the one thing that really spoke to me, I mean, when I started reading the book, of course, everything you wrote spoke to me, but the one that really got me and I was like in tears every time I read it was when you said Nana and Grampy, because that was what my girls call my parents and my dad has since passed away. So I can see uh -huh. if it had happened the other way around and my mom had died first, I honestly could see my dad struggling with having my mom around. So I was like, that just like called to my heart every time. Oh, I appreciate that. That blesses me. That well, I, I am so glad. Um, so what led you to write the book though? Well, when I went to, when I was a street evangelizing and I was in the mental hospitals, I found that people were really, I mean, even Christians, not only non-Christians, but even Christians felt they weren't worthy enough of the Lord. And they felt because they were probably told all their life, you're no good, you're not going to amount to anything. And I met people who thought that um, they were guilty of because they were no good. It just automatically they would take on the guilt. And there was people who were suffering from chronic grief and the mental hospitals. Most of the people are there because they're so depressed not because they've done anything wrong or anything. They just go to the hospital because they can't face life anymore because they think that there's no hope for them. And I wanted to bring hope back to people. And that was my whole 
the whole part of the Bible, um, Bible, the whole uh, part of the novel, the whole idea of the novel was to bring hope back to people and to people see God's love. Yeah, because honestly, you can see where in in the instances of the book where God provided for not only Franklin but the people around him as well. And his little granddaughter with the faith that she had in showing out, you know, they say, what does it say? To be like a child and look at things in childlike eyes, you know, that's the innocence. And I think you brought that out with his granddaughter. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that gives me a good feeling. That's a blessing. So yeah. she's, wrapped up, she's wrapped up of my, in some incidents, not all, some incidents she's wrapped up as my two grandchildren. Oh, I love that. Can can you tell exactly some some of the examples that are like like your grandchildren that she does in the book? What kind of grampy are you? <laughs> I got that from my grandson and my granddaughter. What kind of what kind of person are you? You don't even know your own neighbor. <laughs> I love that. What kind of grampy, uh, what kind of papu are you meaning my husband, you know? Uh -huh. He's Irish, but we call him by the Greek word papu because my son requested it. Oh, I love that. Now, <laughs> are you comfortable with reading a part of your book? Sure. Okay, so we're going to go to a quick commercial, and then when we come back, we'll come back to you reading the book. Sound good? Okay, sounds good. Chats from the blog cabin. Subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Here we go to the commercial. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I would like to share with you a little bit about Shores of Grace, Shores Philly. It's a ministry located in Philadelphia. The portion of Shores that I volunteer for goes into Kensington, an area greatly impacted by homelessness and addiction. And we go and we take love food, clothing, snacks, conversation. Um, we believe that it is a way that we can meet people right where they are and show them the love of Jesus. Uh, we have seen lives changed in big ways and in small ways, and we have built wonderful relationships with the people in the community. Uh, we have big plans, more we'd like to do, um, and we would appreciate any support either through prayer or through donation. If you would like to donate, you can go to shoresofgrace.com and in the menu, click on donate. We just ask that you put Philly in your donation comments. Thank you. And we are back chatting with Darlene West. She's the author of Awakened by Grace. And Darlene, before we went to the break, you agreed to read part of your book to us. So you're on stage now, it's your time. Okay. I'm reading from chapter five, Dinah's Donut House. In fact, Dinah's Donut House is my favorite chapter. The next morning after a sleepless night, now Franklin is waiting for his granddaughter to arrive. He got information that his granddaughter was coming that day and he's waiting for her. Franklin headed out to Dinah's Donut House to pick up some fresh donuts and muffins for Maggie. Since he left before sunrise, he drove along a lonesome dark road. In his mind, he conducted a scenario analyst of the worst outcomes that might transpire by allowing his family back into his tortured life. The worst of possible consequences 
would be if his family figured out the truth about him and hate him for it. And yet they may not. Nevertheless, it felt strange for him to resume the role of a father and grandfather without his wife. And he had nobody to blame but himself. The full moon lit the way into the shopping center's parking lot. Like Pappy used to say, all the nuts are come out during the full moon. He stopped his truck in the middle of the lot, let down the window, stuck his head out and shouted, here I am moon, the biggest nut of all. With the air, with the cold air pouring into the open window, he scanned the shopping center through the windshield. All the storefronts were dark with the exception of diners, which would account for the lack of parked cars. There were about a dozen vehicles parked in front of and near the donut shop, as he had expected. The locals gathering spot for gossip was as busy as in Anthill at six in the morning. Boy, it's freezing out there. He shut the window and raised the heater fan. In spite of the fact that he hadn't patronized the donut shop since Katie died, nothing had changed. It was obvious that Taki Papadakis, the owner, loved the Greek heritage. As always, the blue and white Christmas lights with two men in Greek costumes decorated the storefront window. But the O in the blue moon in the blue neon, I'm sorry, <laughs> in the blue neon open for business sign had burnt out since he had been there last. Franklin gazed through the windshield with the, his elbow resting on the steering wheel. He rubbed the stubble on his unshaven chin and wondered if he could slip in and out without being noticed. What are my options? Being seen on or best pastries in town since they were for Maggie. Franklin took the chance and pulled into a parking space a few storefronts down from Dinah's. The door bomb sounded as Franklin entered the decades old donut shop. The blue and white decor throughout the bakery matched the colors of the Greek flag that hung behind the register. When he passed the Christmas tree near the entrance, he noticed most of the nine tables were occupied. Three men stood in line at the register. A younger woman rang up orders. Several customers stood in front of the bakery case. Two other middle-aged women scurried behind the case, filling white donut boxes with various baked goods as a young man served the customers seated at the tables. He scanned the bakery looking for Uncle Tacky, but Franklin didn't see him. Tacky must have been in the kitchen baking the delectable Greek and American pastries. Even over the noisy chatter throughout the bakery, Franklin heard the door bomb sound off two more times while he stood in line. With his hands in his winter's jacket pocket, he eyed the apple blueberry muffins on top of the bakery case. When Uncle Tacky appeared from the back carrying a tray of his famous Luca Mades, he had forgotten 
about those luscious little donuts holes soaked in honey and sprinkled with cinnamon and chopped walnuts. Oh boy, Tacky is looking my way. Did he see me? Maybe not. He's too busy. Franklin muttered. He summarized, sur surmised it might be better if he left, just left the, and buy the donuts at the grocery store up the road, but his mouth watered for those Greek donuts. From behind the bakery case, Tacky slid the tray onto un the upper rack case. And he announced, as he announced, I got the Greek donuts and this is the last batch for today. The girl at the register hollered, I need an order of those Greek donuts. Oh, brother, the Luca Mates are selling out. Then Tacky turned around and looked out into a dining area. Franklin looked away for a minute, few moments, trying not to be conspicuous. He pretended not to be admiring the decked out Christmas tree near the front entrance. He peeked over his shoulder. Tacky moved closer to the kitchen entrance as he talked to a customer. He stopped and he folded his hands on top of the bakery and he continued talking with the customer. The sound of chairs scraping against the concrete floor startled him. He twisted around. Seven men, all local farmers, were dragging two tables together. Although he knew all of them, he had forgotten about them. For numerous years, every Friday morning, they had met at Dinah's for breakfast. And more times than not, Franklin had joined them to mingle and catch the local gossip. He looked away, hoping nobody would see him. This is too nerve-wracking. I need to get out of here before someone sees me. But before he could leave, Franklin felt someone tap his shoulder. Stunned, he flinched and pivoted around. Bob LaPierre, it was the free farmer up the road from Franklin's place, wearing a broad smile, exposing his crooked yellow teeth. Speaking in a distinctive French accent, Bob commented, Frank, I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. I said to myself, self, is that my good friend Frank? You know, the professor who likes to go off-roading in the woods and restore old trucks. Then I answered myself, why, yes, yes it is. For a short and thin man, Bob's laughter roared deep like a tuba, and it was contagious. Franklin cracked up. He hadn't laughed like that since the fatal accident. Somehow, Bob's sunny and jovial, jovial personality could always brighten a gloomy day for Franklin. As Bob reached out his hand, he said, asked, how have you been, my good man? Still chuckling, Franklin replied, I'm alive. He shook Bob's hand. Bob wiped his forehead with the back of his hand. Phew, good thing, I thought you were a ghost. Besides, my any day above ground is a good day. He laughed out a la belly laugh, cracking up Franklin yet again. It amazed Franklin how spry Bob was. He seemed more like a man in his 40s rather than his mid-80s. The heart aneurysm never slowed him down. 
Franklin agreed with Bob. If Bob had his way, he'd still be working on the tree farm, but his family did what they thought best for him. Wow. I mean, you can see right there your Greek heritage is coming out in that particular chapter. Is that the reason why it's your favorite chapter? Uh, well, it's not really the Greek. I love Bob. <laughs> Bob's my favorite character in the book. He is a character for sure. Now, you mentioned several times about being a street evangelist. Tell us about a little bit about that and how that led you into writing your book. Well, okay, for an example, one time I was coming home from street evangelizing. I was in Hartford, Connecticut. And there was a woman on the corner who was known to be a prostitute in town doing obscene gestures to a group of men in another corner, kitty corner to her. And the Lord said, stop and talk to her. Mm -hmm. I stopped the car, I got out, and the Lord said, pray in the spirit real loud. And when I did, the men ran. She fell in my arms and she started weeping. She wanted to go to church back to the church she grew up in that day. And she was afraid to because of what she had become. Yeah. And so there's, you know, another woman, there was other people similar to her that were afraid to come to God because they thought they had done too much bad stuff in their lives. And they thought that who could love them because they were so bad, you know, or, you know, um, incapable mm -hmm. of living a normal life, you know, and that's when I met people in mental hospitals where this one woman was saving her sleeping pills. She would spit it out when the nurse left every night. Mm -hmm. And the day I met her, and this is the Lord, the day I met her, she gave her life to Christ and she told me I was going to kill myself tonight because wow. she thought that she wasn't there was no hope for her. And so this is what laid in my heart so deeply. There's so many people out there. And I think the novel went out just on time too, because there's people who feel their life is hopeless now what's going on in our country. I mean, for an example, I heard, I don't know if you ever heard of Flashpoint it's on the Victory Channel. It's a political news through a Christian faith, you know. And when everybody was laid off from the pipeline, 13 people killed themselves. And so it's more than a death of a loved one. It's a death of your finances. It's a death of losing a spouse. Um, a spouse that walks out on you. I know a woman whose spouse walked out on her and she is a pastor. Mm. And he walked out on her for actually another man, which was wow. devastating to her. But, you know, she's able to get, she got through it because she encouraged herself in the Lord. So, and when I sat down and started writing, I heard some of the stories I, and I saw faces that I had met and I knew that I wanted, I, 
all I wanted to do was go out, reach out, and help people to find hope again. And the hope in Christ Jesus is no better hope. That is so true. Now, you just mentioned something about how you heard God speak to you with the prostitute to stop and speak to her. Let's talk about instances where God speaks to us because I actually never really had experienced that until this year. And I'll tell you my story and then we'll, you can share your stuff. But um, I, earlier when I talked about my dad being called Grampy, you know, he's since passed. Well, my youngest daughter and I, and she's 19, were sitting down eating lunch at a restaurant because we had gone to visit a friend and we were eating lunch at a restaurant. And it was this man there sitting there. And the only thing I noticed, it was the elderly man, the only thing I noticed was his arms. I didn't notice anything else about him, but his arms reminded me of my dad so much. You know how when they get a lot older, you know, the arms get a little bruised up. And I kept hearing very strongly, pay for his lunch, pay for his lunch pay for his lunch and i'm like what no i barely have enough to cover our lunch what do you mean pay for his pay for his lunch and so i pulled the waitress over because it was a different waitress and i said i want to do it so that it's not for for anybody you know i don't want him to know i'm doing it i wanted to be anonymous but i want to pay for his lunch because i just have this feeling that he needs something because you could see he was trying to interact with some people that were sitting next to him and nobody was talking. I mean, they were talking to him, but they weren't really talking to him. And it just some of the mannerisms was just like my dad. So I paid for his lunch and he got the biggest smile. Like I could see, and he got the biggest smile on his face and everything. And I was like, I don't even know what he was going through, but I just felt like God was telling me that he needed someone to know that they cared about him. And as somebody paid for his lunch, thought enough about him to pay for his lunch. Wow, that's amazing. That's a beautiful testimony. Yeah. You just know when God is talking to you, he just tugs at your heart. You know, it's your spirit witnessing, the Holy Spirit is witnessing with your spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, and plus through his word, he talks to us and he talks to, well, one time, I heard him audibly in my spirit, not like he's sitting there talking to me, but it felt like that. When I went to pray for somebody, lay hands on somebody, the Lord actually called out the man's name, Warren. He says, Warren, he was, he was at a stroke and he was wheelchair bound. And he said, Warren, stand up and walk. Mm. And it freaked me out. I have to admit, it freaked me out. I didn't tell the guy for a week. What wow. they said because I never heard the Lord talk like that before, and I imagine that's the way Paul and Peter and you know they knew who to talk to and what to say to somebody like Peter with the guy that was begging at the temple. He says, "Money I do not have, but stand up and walk." I'm sure God told him to say, "Stand up and walk." Yeah, and actually the Sunday Inspirational Series came out about because I was interviewing a lady who wrote a book, You Can Trust in Him. And during the time that I was interviewing her, God kept saying, you have, you." in my mind, there was like a little thought that says, there's more to this, there's more to this. And they're like, well, you know what? I'm going to start doing Sunday extra episodes on Sundays just for people that need a little bit of inspiration, need a little bit of hope need a little bit of Jesus. It doesn't have to all be about Jesus, but you know, I just felt like God was telling me that you need to give hope to people. Yeah. That's what I felt with my novel. I, 
I can reach out and I'm praying, believing that it might get a movie contract because then I can reach out to millions of people. I want to at least reach out to the thousands of people with my novel. So you just mentioned movie contract. Do you have an actor in mind that you would like to play, Franklin Franklin? Oh my gosh, Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> <laughs> He does the best when it comes to being an unsaved person. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so how long did it take you to write the book? Three years. Wow. Yeah. Um, I started it was very small. It was a short novel. And God kept giving me more and more words to write. And next thing I knew it developed into this. I did hire a, uh, a mentor, um, Jeanette Wendell, is an award-winning novelist, and um, in the beginnings of my writing the novel, and I hired a couple of um, editors. It's very difficult to get into the get published mm -hmm. in this, you know, time. So it's got to be almost perfect when you write it. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's got to be almost perfect. And then when my um, publisher, I mean, I had so many rejections. And when my publisher finally said yes, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute, is this real? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and um, it's just very hard. And I believe I didn't pray as hard as, as, as like I should have to find that publisher. And when I start praying it, and when the novel was ready, then I started praying it because I was praying it before the novel was ready. And I believe that we need to pray for it when everything is ready. Okay, Lord, where do you, you had me write this? Where do you want me to publish it? And then he showed me my publisher. I just love that. I mean, I think I don't, I will tell you this, that it was so funny that when you're, um, I don't, is it Helen? Is that your publisher? Yes. Okay. No, publicist. No, no, no. Just my publicist. Your publicist. When she sent it out, she sent it out the press release. You know how you always get press releases. Right. I replied twice that, you know, oh, I'd love to interview you. I'd love to read the book. And she was like, you've already replied once. I said, that means I really love to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> Helen's a great lady. She really is. I love her. She I loves mean, the Lord. I mean, you can definitely tell your love of the Lord as well. How hard was it for you to, when you were writing, where there's some scenes where your editor said you have to cut things out? Well, actually, I would take, you know, every chapter that I wrote, I would print them, and um, my husband helped me out, and we prayed, and God would show us what needed to stay in and what needed to come out and what needed to be changed and what needed to be added. And that's how my book grew actually, because there was a lot more adding than subtracting. And yeah, um, some of the things, I don't think it was difficult for me. Um, I wanted it right. And that was in my heart for it to get it right for what God wanted to glorify him. So I could have written a story like most stories when somebody loses a spouse, then God's supposed to bring another person into their life. <clears throat> but I wanted to make it one more realistic. And two, 
because you're not going to meet somebody right after your spouse dies. Not always. Sometimes, not yes, always. but not always. In fact, I would say less than always, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I also wanted to give the credit to the Lord mm -hmm. for changing the heart, not somebody else. You know, because even though the Lord may have brought that person into their life, people are thinking, oh, well, he met this nice girl, da-da-da, and gives it to the girl. Or he met, she met this nice man and gives it to the man. So, but I wanted the, the people to see Christ's love through the story. Yeah, because honestly, I was I was kind of thinking that Franklin Franklin was gonna um, end up with Sue, the grandmother, with that's taking in the two kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's my uh, granddaughter. She said to me, Granny. I thought you were going to marry off, marry him off to Sue. <laughs> I said, no. Nope. <laughs> so you totally surprised people on that. Because honestly, <laughs> I saw the buildup and I was like, wait a second. This is how it ends? Wait a second. What happened to Sue? You know? <laughs> but it just shows also, too, how your heart softens once people start caring yeah. about you. And once you stop isolating yourself. Because isolation is probably the worst thing that anybody can do when they're going through something. I believe that too, because once you isolate yourself, you have nobody to encourage you. But of course, the people that went to church with Katie, they weren't really encouraging to her, to him. Mm -hmm. you know, he figured, well, God took his wife so that he can get saved. And that was a pretty traumatic situation there. I don't think that's what people were trying to say to him. They're trying to encourage him, mm -hmm. but they didn't know. He didn't know, understand it, should I say. That's so true. And I love how you placed the new pastor in a new church across the street from his house so that he saw a different way that religion was. And because a lot of times people get so caught up in what the structure of religion is that they kind of forget that it's all about loving each other and being kind to each other and doing what Jesus would do. And Jesus, one of the biggest things, and I keep reading this message over and over and over again the last couple of weeks is, you know, be kind to one another, love one another. Even if they're enemies, still love them, you know, and showing their love. And, and that's in your book as well. But I mean, there's several books now I've read that that's in there and in the Bible verses that I'm doing right now. So God's sending me a message right now. <laughs> love your enemies and pray for them and do good to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my aunt... She passed away because of COVID last year. Mm, I'm sorry. She, was in, she was in New York and she was 88. And I was talking to her about moving in with me because she was in a nursing home. She, her, both her children had passed away before her. Mm. And um, she was on oxygen and Como put COVID patients in with her. And um, so Oh my gosh, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh my gosh. You were talking about your aunt. Yeah. But what was that? Kind of, there was a reason for it. <laughs> um, what did you say just beforehand? We're talking about how the religion, how people. Oh, she me, when I was a little girl. She taught me, she said, darling, when somebody says, I hate you, smile at them and say, I love you. 
<laughs> she says it gets them all the time. And then when I learned, when I start reading the word, and it said that, you know, be kind to them, you'll heap hot coals on top of their heads. It made me think about my aunt right away. I went right back to her. Yeah, so, but, yeah, she used to teach me things like that. You know, just love them. She says, love people. Were they going to fight with somebody that loves them? <laughs> you know? Nope. So, nope. So where does your strong faith come from? What did Jesus say? Those that have forgiven much, love much. Yeah. I feel that um, it started to come from, I've been saved since 1978. But the real faith came into my life when I had to depend on God for things that I couldn't do on my own. You know, I had to have money to pay rent and I was didn't have the money. I needed a place to live once and I didn't have the money to move in to a new place. And leaning on Jesus quite a bit before I had a husband to lean on. You know, and well, I still lean on Jesus, but I had a husband. And then in 2007, I myself thought that God didn't really love me. I, I mean, what an oxymoron. God died for my sins and I thought he didn't love me. I loved him, but I wasn't sure if he loved me, you know, because I had to struggle, do a lot of things to get where I was at. And so um, I found out in 2007 um, through uh, Keith Moore, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. No. He's in Branson, Missouri. And I heard him preaching one time on TV and he said something. I don't even remember what he said, but he said something. I realized, oh my gosh, God does love me. You know, I mean, I knew he loved me, but didn't know how much he loved me, you know. And then I learned even more on him. I think that's a struggle that everybody deals pretty much with. If you're not really, even on people that are really strong with faith, are like, does God love me? Does God see me? Is God see what I'm going through right now? And just yeah. kind of have to have faith. I think everybody struggles with that, though. That's when I when I was leaning on him, and then miracles would happen. Like um, I was living in this condominium, I was renting it, and in Connecticut, and my condominium got sold. And I said, "Okay, Lord, I don't have really a lot of money to." Um, get out there and um, rent another place, you know, first month, last month, security deposit. And I said, okay, now you got to go before me and I'm going to go hunt because I had 30 days and they sold the place. And so um, I met a man who took, uh, who was a landlord and all I needed was like a hundred dollars security and the rent, the first month's rent. And to me, that was like, yeah, I'll take that. You know, that was Jesus mm -hmm. who was helping me with it. But at the same time, I was a single mom mm. because my ex-husband was a monster and I divorced him. I mean, if any woman are out there getting beat by their husbands, that is not God's will. You are not to submit to that. <laughs> you are to leave that. 
and leave him in the hands of God. If God's going to fix your marriage and fix him, then he'll bring you back together again, if that's what your will is. But um, I was a single mom. I had two little kids, and I had to depend on Jesus for a lot of things. And I met a husband that adopted my two boys. Wow. Yeah, and he just, I, I just love him to death. I mean, he just loves the Lord, and what a difference mm -hmm. to have somebody that loves the Lord than somebody that does, that, you know, even hates you and beats you. Now let's talk about, you just talked about being a better wife. You know, that had to deal with why God, why am I in this situation? Because I know there's a lot of people out here that are probably listening going, that's me. How do I, how do I escape that? You know, I'll tell you something. I learned as I grown with Christ, it was my own choices. God warned me. I didn't necessarily, it was so close to the forest, I couldn't see the trees. But I look back now and I see that God's warnings with it. I mean, he didn't touch me before we got married. Mm -hmm. He was a quiet, sweet man. That's what I thought. But then God warned me with different things that he was doing. I caught him um, going to the drugstore and writing out his own prescription for um, some value just before I married him. And that to me is a warning. Don't do it, you know? And so I, um, I have to say to one, I, my next novel, I thought about writing the, my next novel about a single mom and her, how God helps her or I don't, I can't do the battered wife yet, mm -hmm. even though it's been like 40 years ago. You know, I still can't. Um, I don't know how to bring that out in a book and how tragic it is. In the, I wouldn't put the language in there. I would just say that he was using, you know, obscene language or, you know, mm -hmm. But to put it together, if God wants me to do it, he'll show me. But I don't know if I'm ready yet to put those on words, not because of my emotional, but because I'm not ready yet as a writer, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm really part of myself. I like it to be really, I want it to be real for people when they're reading it. Realistic, I say, not real, but realistic. Well, as you were talking about how you wanted to do a single mom, the idea popped in my head. Once you do a backstory to Sue and how she became part of how she got her grandkids and she's raising them herself now. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is a great story. <laughs> because then I could tell you what happened to her. Because in my mind, I know where she is. See, there you go. And then you can <laughs> tie in the, like, make it like a little series. And then you can talk about some of the other characters as well, you know. Wow, that's an idea. Wow, I'll, I'll pray on that one. That's great. I like because, that. Because as soon as you said single mom, the soup popped in my head immediately because I was like, here's this grandma who doesn't have anything, probably two nickels to rub together. And she has to raise her grandkids because of what's happened to her daughter and 
the daughter's whatever boyfriend, whatever I can't remember in this in the book, but that that's yeah. like, that would be a great story to tell as well because that's a there's a lot of grandparents that are taking in their grandchildren because their parents aren't able to raise them at all. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I've met people who were raised by their grandparents. Yes, you're right. Huh. So, so Darlene, our time is almost up and I asked you because I told you all my Sunday inspirational things um, about prayer. So I want to go to a prayer if you're ready to do it and, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about where everybody can find your stuff at. So okay. you are you ready to pray? I'm ready to pray. Are you going to pray? Or you want me to pray? You pray. Oh, okay. <laughs> Heavenly Father, God, I worship you and praise and glorify you, God. I thank you for everything you've given us. I thank you for the novel that you're sending out now to the people so that they can get hope back in their life. People who are hopeless and, and feel they're hopeless. I mean, if they just see you and encourage themselves in you, Lord God, they would know how much hope they really have because, Lord, you've always given me hope. And Father God, I pray for my audience. I pray for Tracy's audience right now in Jesus' name that they're going to. Um, they're going to really be attracted to your word. And I ask you to bless her ministry right now in Jesus' name to bless it above all other ministries, Lord God, that people are going to want to be part of that ministry. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, let's tell people where they can find you at. Okay. You are Tracy. That's where I stopped. Um, I have a Melissa later. No, I'm Melissa. Oh, you're Melissa. You're Melissa Vera. I'm uh -huh. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I have so many interviews. I, I totally get it. I get it. You know, it's okay. <laughs> okay, Melissa. Um, you can go to my website, darlenewest.com, just my name.com. And you can go to Amazon or to my publisher or even go to um, Whiff and Stock, W-I-P-F and Stock, S-T-O-C-K. And you can go to um, Barnes and Nobles. And, and you your, can buy a book there. Anywhere you can buy a book. And your book, book, the name of it again? Awakened by Grace. And I hope you get it, because and I hope you enjoy it. Yes, I totally enjoy it, guys. So I will say go for it, because it's a, it's a fairly quick read as well. And I think that's great that there's little snippets that you can like if you're waiting for the doctor or if you're... Are you in the car, in a car trip? Of course not when you're driving, but even if you're driving, you can buy the Audible book and listen to it as well, or buy the Kindle book and listen to it on Kindle. Yes, so, you can read it on Kindle. And you found it audio on Kindle? Yeah, on Kindle, you can, it, if you have the Kindle device, it can read your books to you. Oh, I didn't know that because people have been asking me, can I get this on audio? This one woman I met the other day, she um, has a dog that won't let her read anymore. So she likes to play the stories and then the dog will sit down and listen with her. <laughs> I love that. You're ministering to pets and you didn't even know it. I love that. <laughs> okay, I didn't know you had to have the device, but you can listen to it. 
I think on iPads and iPhones and stuff like that, you can go in and there's some kind of setting that you can go in and you can put it so it reads the stuff to you as well. When I was praying just now, the Lord told me that's not Tracy. That's why I went, huh? <laughs> Tracy's my next one. Watch me call her Melissa. Watch. That would be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so... Darlene, I want to thank you for coming on Chats in the Blog Cabin and for being an encouragement and enlightenment, for writing your book, for listening to God to tell you to write this book. Because, guys, I'm telling you, once again, this book is it's pretty amazing. For to see the character of Franklin Franklin, which I love the name, spelled differently. <laughs> um, at the transition that he goes through when he loses his wife to the point where at the very end of the book, he's totally a totally different character, which a lot of times when we go through grief, we become a different person after we've gone through the grief after losing someone. So Darlene, I want to thank you for writing the book and I will put in the show notes, all the information on where you can find her, where you can buy her books, everything else. And, um, is there anything else you want to leave us with Darlene? Yes. Um, send me the link when you have it up and I'll put it in my website. I sure will. So guys, as always, be blessed, and most importantly, keep chatting. Hallelujah. Chats from the Blog Cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now.